I want to talk to you here a few moments about the issue of commitment, namely our commitment to God. And I want to just sort of spell out to you what this word that we often use and know actually means. The dictionary definition is this. The word commitment means the state or the quality of being dedicated to a cause or an activity or maybe even a person. When we use the word commitment in reference toward a person, we obviously mean that as a positive thing. I see Brother Craig Kessel over here, Pastor Craig, amen, nothing's changed but the job, not the calling. I see Pastor Craig over here on my right, and if I were to say tonight that Pastor Craig is a man who is full of commitment, he's a committed man, that would be a positive thing that I would say, and all of us would think things like, he's reliable, he's dependable, he's trustworthy. As a result of him being a committed person, we can count on him. That's what that means. We know that if he says he's going to do something, Bjorn, we know he's going to be there. That's what we mean when we think about the word commitment. It's a positive thing. But we also know if that we say the opposite about a person where they're not committed, and that means that they're not going to show up. <laughs> we can't rely on them. We're not sure where they're going to be at the end of the night. When we say that person's not committed, we mean that we don't know where they're at about the thing that we're talking about. I'm not sure that they're committed as a person or as it pertains to the issue at hand. And I want to tell you that the, that the quality of our life is not what people hear in our words, but it's what they see in our lives. Now, speech sounds good for a season, but the longer that we're around people, if they do not see in our life what we say with our words, Listen, they do not think that well of us. And so what we want to be is a people that are committed to God and we're committed to his people and we're committed to his values and everyone around us knows it, not because we say it, but because you can see it. It's the quality of our lives. And I wanna tell you tonight that our commitment to God is going to be tested again and again and again. Our commitment to God is going to be tested by the difficulties and the difficult seasons of life. And the things that matter the most will rise to the top. We're talking about marriage and family and values and principles. But most importantly, our commitment to following Jesus. We want to have an unshakable commitment that when the difficulties come, and they have and they will, that we're not shaken out of what matters the most and laying and latching hold of the things that matter least. But it often does reveal what our life is truly built on. Jesus actually said that in Matthew chapter 7. You might remember when he talked about a person who heard and heeded his words. They were like a wise person that built their house on the rock. And the rains came and the floods came and all of this stuff came the, the, it's a metaphor for the challenges of life. But listen, that house still stood. Why? Because that person was committed to something more than being frightened and freaked out when bad things happened. They were committed to the values and the principles of God's word. And that's when it mattered the most. That's when it was seen the most, when there was something that revealed it. The Bible is chock full of people who were not committed to God. People who failed when it mattered the most. But you know, the Bible also shows us many individuals that were committed to God. 
and what their life was like and really what their impact was like as a result of their commitment. And that's really what I want to get to. I want to tell you this. People that are not committed to Jesus are not impactful to others around them. They're just not. But people that are committed to Jesus Christ, even if we do not feel like our life in God is affecting many people right now, the fact that we stay committed will be something that will stand the test of time. And even if people don't say anything to us right now, the fact that we're committed will cause people to say or cause people to see what it really looks like to follow the living Christ. We want to have an unshakable commitment. I was thinking today, just a few hours ago, about somebody that is an inspiration to me as it pertains to a committed person to God. And I was thinking about Daniel and his friends. Now, Daniel was an Israelite who was deported to Babylon with others during a time of God's judgment. You read about God's judgment in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah warned his people, don't continue to go down this road of worshiping pagan gods and continuing to withhold justice and all that they had done and had transpired over several years. And Jeremiah and many other prophets contended with the people of Israel to not continue down that path. And yet they did, they persisted. So Jeremiah prophesied judgment, 70 years, be taken captive. This is what we call the Babylonian captivity. Now, when we come to the book of Daniel, we know that we're reading about the Babylonian captivity. Daniel and and his friends and many others, Israelites, have been deported to Babylon. And they were segregated in the way that the Babylonians wanted them to be. Some were allowed to be in the king's court. What the Bible would say in Daniel chapter 1 is the people that the king found that had great promise, that were intelligent or of a high intellect or um, seemed to be aspirational of some value to the king, he would put them in the king's court and others would be basically the grunt work. And so the king segregated the Israelites in whatever way it pleased him. Well, Daniel and three of his companions, and there were other youths, and they were in their upper youth, that upper youth category. Maybe they were 16, maybe they were 17. Um, And it just so happens that we have you guys with us tonight. Amen. I wasn't supposed to go after you in this way, but come on, be inspired. Uh, he was in his upper youth, and, and he was a promising young man, and so were his others. Daniel was enlisted in Babylonian school to be trained as a future administrator in the Babylonian empire. Why? Because the king wanted liaisons. He wanted people that spoke his language, and they also spoke Hebrew. He wanted people that uh, could speak on his behalf, people that were advocates. They wanted to brainwash these young men particularly men, so that they could send them back among their people as the liaisons and the advocates uh, to do the king's bidding. We see that in Daniel's life that he stayed committed to God even in the midst of many in his generation going astray. I want to tell you that many of the Israelites in Babylon capitulated and compromised and worshipped the God of uh, the, the pagan gods. It doesn't say it all the time, but we know that's true. And that's why the stories in Daniel stand out. Why do they stand out? Because everyone else did what Daniel didn't. And that's why it tells a story about this young man. And I believe his commitment will help us when we face challenges as well. And I want to talk to you just real briefly, only a few minutes, about the three commitments that Daniel made. And they were actually three tests, and it revealed his, his commitment to God. The first was he was committed to God's word. 
When we talk about what does it mean to be committed to God, we're not just saying that uh, we believe in God. And if someone asks us, do you believe in God? We say yes. And that's very important. We ought to do that. Uh, Although people don't always know what God we're talking about. And so we want to clarify that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the God of the Bible. That's who we believe in. But that's not what it means merely to be committed to God. We want to be committed to God's word. If we're committed to God, we're committed to his word. And Daniel had this challenge. We too will have this challenge. It will happen to us as well. Daniel and his friends were faced with this specific circumstance where as because they were placed in the king's court, they were allowed to eat the food at the king's table. And the Bible calls it choice food. And this is what it says here in Daniel chapter one and verse eight and how Daniel responded to that because uh, the word of God would tell him different. He's not supposed to eat some of the food that they normally eat based on the Torah, the Old Testament. It says here, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. I just want to explain this real quickly. He's in the king's court. Uh, The king believes, and so do the rest of his officials, that in order for you to be healthy, you need to eat the food we eat. And that some of that food's going to be pork. They eat food that the Old Testament would tell a good Hebrew young person to deny, or any person for that matter. There are dietary restrictions in the Old Covenant. And so Daniel is faced with a challenge. Am I going to eat from the king's table, or am I going to deny that and take whatever consequence? So he has some wisdom. He asks the commander that's over him and his friends, hey, would it be all right if we basically just drank water and ate vegetables. He had to ask him. He sought him and he said, uh, the commander did not want to do that because he would be in trouble if they all of a sudden looked like what they were eating was causing them not to have all of their faculties when they needed them, uh, to be awake, come on, at church when they needed to be or whatever, whatever their version was, not church, but you understand. The commander would be in trouble. So Daniel said, hey, give us 10 days We'll eat vegetables, we'll drink water for 10 days, and if we're not doing better than the others, by way of contrast, well, we'll then you, you can decide what you want to do uh, from there. But they couldn't eat pork and shellfish and all these other things. And so that's exactly what the commander did. He allowed them to have vegetables and water, and as a result of it, their countenance, it says, was bright, and God gave them favor. Everybody say Favor. They ate vegetables and they drank water while everybody else ate all of the choice foods of the king's table. And it says, the Bible says that Daniel and his companions looked better and their countenance was bright. Listen, these guys were shining. Their teeth were sparkling. They looked like they were on fire. You know, I mean, this was amazing. And, and so the commander thought, I'm going to give you vegetables and water all the time. But the real thing that happened was God gave them favor. Why? Because they were committed to God's word. Uh, look what it says here in verse 17. As for these youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. You cannot learn to understand all kinds of visions and dreams. This is something that God gave him. God gave him favor. God gave him gifting. God gave him anointing. Why? Because he was a man that honored God's word. Friends, I want to tell you, if we're just committed to God's word, 
maybe when other people aren't, when it's not popular to be, if we stay committed to God's word, when the challenge comes, not just that we read it every day, but then when we come into a situation where we're called to do something else by the world or the culture, and the culture wants us to eat from their table, we say, we're not going to eat the food that you're giving us because we're already eating the food of God's word. The challenge is going to come, though. Not just whether or not we say we read the Bible or know the Bible or believe the Bible, but the challenge is going to come, we're going to live the Bible. That challenge is going to come to all of us. That's why we've got to know it. That's why we've got to read it. Sometimes, as good Christians, good Bible-believing Christians, we get stuck in this whole position of whether or not we say we believe it or whether or not we read it. And a lot of people walk around feeling guilty that they haven't read the Bible as much as they wanted to. Friend, I want to tell you, the reason you want to read the Bible is so that you know what to do when the situations of life come looking for you. And if the situations of life come knocking at your door and you haven't read the Bible, you're not going to know what to do. And you can't trust in what you used to read or what your friend knows or what your pastor preaches. You got to trust in the living word that you yourself are reading and committed to every day of your life. The more you and I know, the more we grow. And that's why we're a church that's not only committed to reading the Bible, but committing to living it. Friend, you need it in your life. Hey, say amen. amen. The culture is going to challenge you with all kinds of other things. And I'm using this as a metaphor. They're going to introduce you to all kinds of other food. And you and I got to eat from God's word. That's the first commitment. Are we committed to God's word? Well, Daniel and his friends were. The second commitment is that of worship. Daniel was committed in worship. And I'm talking about what his allegiance was to what his heart was given to, what his knees bowed to, what his affections were for. And this is really a story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was the Babylonian name of three Hebrew companions of Daniel. But here's the story. Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor of Babylon at the time. We probably, many of you know this, but he made a decision that he was going to build a 90-foot statue made out of gold. Now, that is amazing, okay? I'm not sure that there's many people that have that kind of gusto and think that well of themselves to say, you know what? I'm such a big deal that I want to make a gold statue that's 90 feet tall. How many of you know how 90, I'm six feet tall. I don't even want a statue that's my size, let alone 10 times my size. So this guy had, he, got a, he has a whole lot of boldness here. And basically what he does is he says, hey, look, we built a golden statue, and whenever the music plays, we want everybody that in the sound of that music in this kingdom, they're all going to bow down and they're going to worship the golden statue. Really what they're going to do is they're going to worship me because I'm God. That was Nebuchadnezzar's issue, and that's why God judged him, because he believed that he was God. Now, when the music played, there was a couple Hebrew boys that said, I'm not bowing to this golden statue. And that aggravated a few folks. You're not going to do what we tell you to do? Why not? And, and, and I want you to hear me in what I'm going to say. The reason that they were not going to bow is because they were already bowing. Listen, it wasn't about taking a stand against something that was wrong. It was about worshiping someone that was right. 
You can't pull somebody out of what they're already worshiping when they believe in God the way that these young boys did. See, sometimes people feel like it's my job to take a stand against that which is evil. And I want to tell you something. If you're on your knees worshiping God, you're already taking a stand. And can't nobody get you out of that position. It's the wrong thing to get into an anti-mindset. It's going to send us down a wrong road doing the wrong things. So they said, no, we're not going to bow because we're already bowing to the one that's worthy of, of worship. And, and it, really, uh, it really did something to, 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 to Nebuchadnezzar, you understand. He was really irritated. So the king said to them, listen, you're going to bow, you're going to worship, or you're going to die. And uh, here was their response. I love this, verse 16, chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire. You're going to throw us into a blazing fire. Uh, He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I mean, this is the king. Uh, He's going to deliver us. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king. This is is bold. Uh, You can't say this unless you're living before a greater king. Uh, if, if he doesn't, uh, we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship the golden image that you've set up. I, I wanted to put you on notice, king. I want you to know something. Well, we're already worshiping someone, and we're not going to stop the worship set. You understand? We're already worshiping and singing to someone, and uh, we can't even hear the music when it plays anyways because we're already so overwhelmed by the God that what we're worshiping. And, and if you decide to throw us into the furnace to kill us, well, that's Okay because he can deliver us. Now, and if he doesn't, we're, we're going to die and it's worth it. So that's awesome. And so he gets enraged and he tells his officials, turn up the furnace seven times hotter. People died as a result of turning it up hotter. Hey, he was so angry. He didn't even care about his own people. He was just trying to make a point. He's trying to prove a point. Well, I'm going I'm, I'm to make an example out of you because you're talking to me the way that you are. And so they throw them in the fire. It's blazing seven times hotter and All of a sudden, they're waiting for them to scream. There's no scream. They're waiting for them to burn, and they're not burning. And I can just imagine him looking in there, and people are looking and getting the closest view that they can. It's real hot. It's hot. It's hot. It's hot. Can you hear them scream? I I can't hear them. I can't hear them. You turned up the furnace so hot, man. I don't, you know, they're talking about it. They're wondering what's going on in the... In the fire. Well, you know what's going on. They finally get a picture. There's three of them, and they're just walking around. You know what I think they're doing? I think they're worshiping in the fire. I think they're worshiping in the fire. I think they're doing what people were doing when they walked around the city of Jericho. I think they're doing what the priests were told to do with the trumpets and everything. They probably had them. They probably probably, don't have a trumpet. We'll make make an air trumpet. It's fine. They're playing air guitar. Come on, make this up with me. You understand? Go there with me. I don't think they were just doing this. You know, I think they were, I think they were, we're in the fire. Uh, You'd be freaking out. Come on, you would. A couple of you need to smile. Yes, would you, at least you'd smile. There'd be revival then, for sure. For sure, a couple of you. They were excited. And the king even says, look, there's more than three of them in there. There's another one that looks like the son of man. Oh, we believe it was. We believe God was with them in the midst of the fire because, and you know what I think? I think they were worshiping him. That's what I believe. They're worshiping him. See, the thing is that before they got into the fire, they were already worshiping someone. 
And the challenge came, you're either going to worship or die. But they, they'd already died to that. They'd already died to this side of the world because they've given themselves to someone else. And that's what it really is like for us as well. When you're already given to someone, just like our marriage vows speak of, right? We forsake all others in order to be covenanted with this one. That's what marriage is. It's to say, nobody else matters in this equation. I have a covenant with one. I forsake all others. And that's what it is to commit ourselves to God. But friends, don't you know the challenge is going to come for your affection, The challenge is going to come for your attention. It's going to come. Who do we worship? What do we worship? What have we given ourselves to? I've never been asked to bow down at a statue before, but I have been asked in many ways, directly or indirectly, to give my allegiance, my affection, my time, my attention more to other things than to Jesus Christ. And that certainly is going to happen for all of us. They were unwilling to bow and worship to the pagan king because they were already bowing to the king of kings. Their commitment to worship caused a whole nation to worship, though. Look what happens. I I just want you to see this. Look what happens as a result of their commitment to worship. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, blessed be the God of Shagrat, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as to not serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn. Now, I don't approve of this message. It shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. And as much as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way, there is no other God greater than the God that they worship. That is something that they discovered in a moment because of someone's commitment. Something they did not know minutes ago, now they found out there is a God. There is a God that is greater than all of this other. And the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Our our worship is going to get challenged, but I want to tell you something. If we're committed to worshiping God, when the challenge comes... If we're committed to worshiping God when the challenge comes, I want to tell you, just the fact that we worship alone can cause great and mighty things to happen. Look at this story. Did did they take a stand against the king? King, I want to tell you, you making another statue, that's a wrong thing to do. They just said, no, we're not going to do what you're asking us to do. They didn't have to take a stand because they they were just worshipers. I just want to tell you something. Our commitment to doing what is right and to being who God called us to be and to worshiping Jesus. Jesus with all of our life, that commitment alone is going to reap rewards in the lives of other people. And don't tell me it won't because that's what the story says. That's what the story says. And we in the natural, we always want to do so much more. We always want to tell other people what they want to do. We always want to take a stand and come against all of the evil. But friends, when we're consumed with worshiping God, what if a people that is consumed with worshiping God actually starts to change the environment around them? What if you and I getting into this room on Wednesday night, and it doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like we're doing that much when we come together and worship. But there's praises that go up, and there's breakthrough that comes down. What if something starts to happen in our hearts as we begin to worship God that causes us to not just do it here, but everywhere? 
What if there's something that we're reminded of that when you and I begin to raise our hands, there's something, shackles begin to come off and we've been looking for freedom on Monday through Tuesday and Thursday through Friday and as we worship together in this room, bam, God begins to break through and our Thursday is not the same. Why? Because we're committed to worship. Or Sunday, we're not here because we're traditionalists but we're gospel advocates, we're lovers of Jesus, we're people that know he's worthy of worship and we say it and we pray it and we share it and we continue to do it. And if we do, friends, I'm telling you, God begins to do the breakthrough that you and I couldn't do. That's what happens. Do we trust him to do the supernatural if we'll just do the things that he said to do? Worship me. Look at what the angels do in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels of God worship him and they wait for his command. The angels don't ever do something unless he says to do it. They never do. They don't move. But when the Lord speaks from his throne, the angels of God do it just as quick as they're told. But before they hear the word of God, they worship. The elders in heaven, that revelation picture, they worship. Why do they worship? Because they're overwhelmed with God. Friend, they're committed to something because they know the someone behind it. Amen. We know this too. We're committed to worship. It's going to get challenged. A lot of things are lobbying for our affections, aren't they? A lot of things want your attention. I'll tell you what the enemy wants. You know what he wants? He wants us to think that nothing that we're, anything we're doing in this room is just nothing changes. Nothing, nothing is happening. Nothing's going on in the spiritual world. In fact, you know what, friend? There's not even a spiritual world. There's nothing even real about it. You know, you're just singing songs to God. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, the enemy wants to wear us down with, with natural thinking. God wants to give us supernatural thinking because there's a supernatural reality. And as we kneel before God, what happens in the spirit when you and I kneel and bow before God? What happens in the spirit? That's the question we've got to answer. What happens in the spirit when we profess our faith in God, when we gather together? What happens in the spirit when we begin to pray and press in? What happens? Well, you got a choice that you got to make. Nothing or a whole lot of something. And there's something powerful when a people come together and unite, come into agreement. If we're all just sort of in different places of opinion and ideas about what's going on in, this, in the spirit when we gather together. Friend, I want to tell you, unite around what God is doing as we gather, as we worship, as we take a stand in God's word, as we believe and remind each other of God's word. Something is happening, something powerful. And the third and final commitment is this, the commitment to prayer. You know, the story of Daniel is so amazing because Daniel excels in everything. And don't you know when some people excel, especially young people, uh, there's a whole lot of jealousy. All right, if you begin to get the favor of God on your life, you would hope that everyone would celebrate you, but I want to tell you that's not going to happen. All right, there's going to be a few. Uh, we'll be one of them. I'll celebrate you. Uh, we'll push you forward. We'll ask for God to be the wind at your back, but you're going to get a whole lot of jealousy. You're going to have people stop you or try to stop you. Uh, this is going to happen, and Daniel had the same thing because uh, the king planned to set Daniel, the Bible says in Daniel chapter six, over much of his kingdom. Uh, that's how amazing this young, he was a young man. Uh, the officials did not like that. 
and they tried to find fault with Daniel. And you know what it says? They could not find fault with Daniel. Don't you want that to be said about your life? Uh, People are looking for fault, but they can't find it. Fault finders can't find a fault. Uh, They need a new profession. Uh, Let's put them out of work, guys. Let's do it. The officials devised a plan. They convinced the king to sign an edict into law that anyone who prayed to another person or God besides the king would be thrown into the lion's den. Obviously, they would die. Here's another death plot, all right? After this was signed into law, Daniel heard, it says in Daniel chapter six, that it was signed into law. And you know what he did? He went home and he prayed three times a day anyways. Why? Because that was his custom. Was Daniel praying three times a day in defiance of the law or did he just keep doing what he always did? All right, he was a man that was committed to prayer and no matter what anybody else said or whatever the law was, Daniel was gonna pray because it's who he was. So he wasn't praying to be anti-law, he was praying because he was pro-Yahweh. And that's how it was. And these guys were like, we can't get Daniel except by his prayer life. And so we'll get this law signed, signed in. And they followed him home. The officials of Babylon broke into Daniel's apartment while he was praying. I don't know if he had an apartment or a, what he had. I don't know. I think of it as a Babylonian apartment. He's praying and they catch him. We caught you. You're praying. And they bring him before the king and they said, king? And the king was vexed. He knew. He had a fear of God on him. He knew Daniel's not the man to mess with. They brought him before and said, he was praying to someone else, king. You got to do something. You said. And the king said, you're right. I, I, I got to do that. And they spoke before the king, verse 13. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but he keeps making petition three times a day. What you going to do? Well, they had to follow through on the decree and they throw him into the lion's den, but God sent his angels into the lion's den uh, and he turned those into purring kittens is what he did. And they pulled him out the next day and the king was, the king was vexed. All night he couldn't sleep, the Bible said, because he knew Daniel was a righteous man. Uh, this was wrong what had happened to him. You know, you know what I, I believe? I believe if Christians, followers of Jesus, lived righteous lives, that when we suffer for righteousness, it will cause unbelievers to be vexed. Because even when we suffer and in our suffering, it will cause people to know something unrighteous is, is, is happening. God will speak through their conscience and he will call them to an account. God will do that. He will put the fear of God on people when you and I suffer well and we're not afraid. We're not afraid. See, it's people that fight and always trying to, in the natural, trying to take back what they think is theirs. Sometimes they're getting in the way of God. Not willing to suffer is sometimes hiding behind that position. I'm just telling you, it's true. Not all the time. Look at what the king said as they pulled Daniel out without a scratch on him. Verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree, a new decree, uh, that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Oh, you know who he didn't deliver from the power of the lions? Uh, Those officials that put Daniel into the lion's den. 
The Bible says their fate was not too great. And that rhymes, so you know that was right. Some of y'all like it when I rhyme. It's very soothing to your soul, isn't it? It gives meaning to your existence. And I want to say this, and if I could get the worship team or whoever you guys have for the second half to come, I, I want you to listen to this final thought. Everybody say, commitment to God's word. Commitment to worship and commitment to prayer. An entire pagan nation, listen, this happened. An entire pagan nation was commanded to pray only to the God of Daniel. Why? Because only the God of Daniel can deliver. Only the God of Daniel can save. No other God responds at all Nonetheless, like this, no other God. I I just want to show you something tonight about commitment, is that the people of God, when they're committed to God's word, they're committed to be worshipers, they're committed to prayer, just the fact that we're committed to prayer can actually change the nation that we're a part of. Just the fact that we're committed to being on our knees before God and calling upon the name of Jesus can cause people around us who see that, whether it's people in our home or people in our church or people around our job or people that just know us even a little bit, if they know that we're a people of prayer, I want to tell you something. God can use that commitment and the fact of our commitment alone to change the hearts of people around us. You know why? Because they don't know what we know and they come under conviction that something is different. They begin to see something that you and I have And it isn't just that we're a perfect person. It isn't just that we're better than them. It isn't just that we look better or sound better or everything about us is admirable, but there's something about our commitment to God that they see. And it shakes them. It causes them to realize there is a real God. People would not be this committed to a God if he wasn't real. People would not do what they're doing if God wasn't real. People wouldn't be able to give themselves to the flames. They wouldn't test the commanders and the officials. They, they would not, certainly would not go against a law that's written into place, legislation. Uh, people like wouldn't do that. Uh, were they anti? Was their position or their purpose to come against the things that were happening in their culture? Or was it that they were so consumed and committed to the God that they knew and loved that the people around them couldn't help but take notice. The people around them couldn't help but change, and it changed the nation. Friends, I'll tell you, one of the greatest things that we're up against right now is is not that Christians aren't just taking a stand. It's that Christians haven't been bowing to Jesus for far too long. It's not just that there's bad things happening in America and in the city that we live in, and uh, Christians aren't doing enough about it. Friends, it's been years and years and years where the Christian church hasn't been committed to Jesus all along. And now we feel like we're in this frenzy where we've got to do something. And so we want to fight against the lions and we want to fight against the statue that should have never been built. And we want to fight against the food that's being offered to us and tell them how wrong it is and how bad it is to tell us that we need to do this and we need to do that. But friends, if we're a people that are on our knees praying and believing and seeking God and worshiping, I I believe that's the position that God's going to use to begin to change the people around us. What if the real issue 
for us. I know I'm speaking to you and I love you and I'm not indicting your Christian life tonight. If it feels like it, then, you know, that's, I'm not trying to. What if the real issue is, is that our commitment to Jesus just isn't what it ought to be? Our commitment to prayer isn't where it needs to be. Our commitment to worship isn't where it must be. What if that's the thing? When we come into a room like this and we wonder, Lord, where am I? I know I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm saved and I I believe in Jesus. I wanna follow you, but friend, there's more. Come on, there is more in God. You cannot have revival in your heart unless you're willing for God to take you into waters where he drowns out the old man. And that's where I want to go. And that's what I'm telling you tonight. Commitment, an unshakable commitment. I don't want you to come into a new test of life and you being wondering what's going wrong when you're shaking too much. God wants you to take a stand right where you are. Challenges of life are going to come, but friends, we can be unshakable when they do. Amen. Why? Because tonight, nights like it, we've already said to Jesus exactly where we are and exactly who we are right here, right now. As far as I'm concerned, that's where we're going to be. And that's what we're going to say. And that's what we're going to do is we're going to be people that are take that stand. That's who we are. That's who you are. And so I want to give opportunity tonight. Would you stand tonight? And this is uh, absolutely spiritual as far as I'm concerned, just us actually standing. That's what we're doing. We're standing and saying, you know what? I'm committed to Jesus. No matter what, I'm committed to Jesus. And that means I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'm going to be a person of worship. I'm going to be a person that commits to God's word. I want to tell you something. We're, we're going to close here in a few minutes. Actually, they're going to keep worshiping. But some of you need to make that commitment. Some of you need to take a, make a commitment tonight. You need to make a commitment tonight. Your heart would begin to burn. And the Lord would put something in you and say, I want you to make a commitment to the word of God, to the worship of God, to the prayer life that God has you to be committed to. Tonight, that's what you need to do. Some of us need to commit to Jesus is what we need to do. Amen. We've got to commit our whole lives and God's calling us in. He's calling us in deeper than we've ever been before. And so I'm calling you tonight in the name of Jesus to not look at the past and see where you've been, but to look at the future and say, I'm putting my stake farther in the ground. I'm putting it in in the ground tonight. So let me pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we're asking that you would give us an unshakable commitment to you. I pray that right all over this room and those that are watching, I ask you, Lord, that you would shake us out of complacency and apathy. And Lord, we would realize the world that we're living in is no joke. The darkness that is upon us is not gonna go away anytime soon. And what we really need is we need the light to shine brighter than it's been. We need the commitment that we have to you to be stronger than we've ever known. And you're not telling us just to fight against things, you're telling us to surrender more to you. And I pray the Lord in this room, that you would bring the conviction of sin, that you would bring the instruction of tomorrow, and that you would, Lord, give us that latching hold to commit and to not let go. I ask you tonight for anybody that is saying that that's who I am and that's what I need. I need to commit tonight more to Jesus than before. In your presence, I pray that that would happen right now. All over this room and everyone online that's saying that. Some of us, we need to just stay Uh, where we are. We need to keep taking the steps that we're taking, keep going where we're going and doing what we're doing. But there are some that there's a turnaround or even just a quarter turn that we need to make. And God, I pray that you would just dissolve that anger and that fear in your presence and turn it into worship. 
I pray that you would dissolve that anti-spirit when it comes to the culture and the world and that you would turn it into an absolute consumed life of worship. A dedicated life in prayer because we know that you can change it all, you can do it all. And we thank you tonight for what you're doing and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.